And uh, once we realized we'd lost a firefighter and everything was kind of, the fire was under control, we started taking the building apart brick by brick, trying to find this man's body. Hogwood wore a Paco cutting torch for six straight hours cutting steel. He would not let you relieve him. He would only let you change the bottles for six hours. It was remarkable. He was honoring a fallen firefighter. Welcome to the Firehouse Logbook Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Dawson, and uh, this is going to be an interesting one for on a couple of reasons. One is uh, usually I have some kind of idea of what we're going to talk about and have some general questions for the guest and um, kind of know the ballpark direction we want to go, but uh, didn't do that for this one. And on top of that, uh, my guest today said, I'm going to bring a special guest and uh, kind of surprised me when he walked in the door. So uh, please welcome the official guest, Bill Crump. Hi. Bill Crump uh, retired from Chesterfield. We worked together in the fire marshal's office in the station and a uh, uh, long career. We'll get into certainly about that. But the special guest of the day, whose name has been mentioned on here before and mentioned <laughs> by other people about, dude, you really need to get him on here. Uh, reti- also retired from Chesterfield, one Terry Newcomb. Terry. Hello. Good to see you, man. <laughs> so uh, I, I honestly have no clue where this is going to go, but uh, – I'm sure it's going to be a good time. So I appreciate you guys coming in and chatting for a while. It's good, Terry. It's good yeah, to see you in from uh, Colorado and the mountains. And it's been a year since uh, we yeah. were up on the river. Since we were canoeing up on the river, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good times. So, and that's where we talked about this before, they, getting together and doing this. They go a lot faster. Yeah. True. Yeah. Do. Well, Bill, let's start with you. Uh, you know, this is about the fire service and fire history. Uh, how did you get involved and where did you come from to get to the fire service? Uh, I was a volunteer as a teenager in Midlothian. Uh, in the 60s and uh, when uh, I got out of high school I kind of let that go ended up going in the Marine Corps and then going to college and then in the mid 70s I started looking for a career I was not really in a career position I was working but uh, the fire service dawned on me and I I got involved uh, mostly because I liked the work schedule Uh, it took me three years to get a job and that was in the 70s i applied for uh, richmond henrico virginia beach charlottesville chesterfield and i got a job in chesterfield and i think that was a good thing because i I took to the medical end of things and uh, ended up uh, working almost 30 years for chesterfield retired as a firefighter paramedic then i worked 12 years in an emergency room of a hospital as a medic so that with that training in chesterfield was exactly what i did in the hospital paid off so how what year did you get hired by chester what when did you say you started 79 you started working in 79. Started working. 79. I was hired in uh, June of 79. I retired in December of 06. And work, went to work for the for uh, Bon Secours in uh, December of 07 and retired in June of 19. So 26 years career side. How long were you a volunteer in Midlothian? About five years. Yeah. Teenage volunteer. Dickie Murray was the uh, volunteer coordinator down there as a young man. Uh, and... Uh, Needless to say, we some of our Monday night drills were uh, quite interesting. I'll bet. Well, well, we'll hear. Maybe we can hear about some of those too as we go along. So uh, I probably don't remember them well enough. Okay. Well, I make, just remember how much fun Dickie Murray was. Yeah, we can make them up as we go along. Yeah, That's fine let's too. do that. And uh, Terry, you and I got to work together a, a few times at Number Nine. How did you get to the fire department? Um, when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I was looking for a job and. Uh, went down to the city of Richmond and talked to them and they they said they wouldn't hire me because I wore glasses and I I don't know if that was true or not but I believed it and uh, they had a vision requirement I recall. yeah um, <clears throat> and years went by and um, bump uh, uh, I can't think of his real Rick name. Summers. Rick, Rick Summers. Summers Rick Summers and I were in the guard together and uh, we were sitting out in the parking lot uh, of uh, a drill one day and uh, drinking beer and uh, on on uh, after the guard duty after after your good no duty. I think it was at lunchtime <laughs> actually <laughs> but uh, I was just talking to him and he said man why don't you put an application in in Chesterfield and I said you know that's what I was looking for when I first got out and this is like eight or ten years later I, I can't really remember but uh I did. I put in an application, had an interview with uh, Chief Eanes, and got hired on the first go-round. So what year was that? 86. 
Wow. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I got hired on the first go-round and um, was really happy. Oh, cool. Bill, that was, uh, you said 79. What were recruit schools like in 79? I came in a few years after that. I was in 10, recruit school 10, and there were probably 16 or 17 of us. And the school before us, number nine, had been uh, wild and crazy and were pretty famous for it, so they cracked down on us. <laughs> so they, you, they you paid the price, did you? We paid the price, right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but that was number 10, uh, and that was uh, – the summer of 79. Wow. Terry, you did a bunch of di- – we're in that uh, – I remember you telling stories about being a diver, commercial diver in the in the Gulf. Was that in the time between you got out of the Marine Corps and you started with us or started with Chesterfield? Yeah. Yep. Um, I was a PE major at VCU, and this uh, – it was in a water safety instructor class, and this girl that I was paired up with started talking about her brother who was diving in the Gulf of Mexico and – killing it money wise so uh i went home and bought a couple of skin diver magazines and looked up commercial dive schools in the back and ended up using my gi bill to go to a uh, it was commercial dive center it was uh run by oceaneering international in wilmington california what kind uh, of what kind of diving does that does that let you do from a commercial diving aspect? What were you doing as a diver? Well, I, I took the air mix gas course, which was just the basic course, and uh, um, I did some inspection diving. I did you know uh, hand jetting. We undercovered uncovered pipelines so in uh, shallow water, so small barges could pick them up and replace a section that was leaking. Um, I videoed some risers, just a whole lot of inspection work. We did some underwater burning, you know, cut steel underwater, and um, yeah, I, if I'd have if I'd have known, <laughs> I should have given this more thought, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's something about Crump and I. We both grew up in Southside. I never met him. Knew all he the same people. Knew all the same people. Yeah, really. The, yeah. He used to go to the Stratford Hills bar. Stratford Hills Grill. We went to the same bar. Same bars. When So that was when we were younger. Then we were both in the Marine Corps. When I was in Nam, almost any day, I could look up and see where, where I was. he where, was, where he yeah. worked. But just still didn't know he was didn't, there. Didn't no, know he didn't was know there. each other, but, but yeah, we were there at the same time. Came back when, when uh, Chief Mauger used to do, or he was, Captain Mauger probably back then. He used to do those stress relief days. And uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, we were in a bowling alley, and uh, started. I started talking to Bill, and we go, gosh, we know all the same people and everything. And uh, he said, man, do you ride bikes? And I said, yeah. So we started riding bikes a couple of days later, and uh, we're still doing that. You know, Riding so bikes and getting in canoes and floating rivers. and Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's pretty fun. We that's did all of that in the last uh, week or so. Yep. Yep. Yeah, jeez. Yeah, but it's crazy how close we were and never knew each other until we came, came here. here. Came to Chesterfield. Yeah. Wow. You probably don't have to tell the whole story, but uh, I remember the story about how you, you and J.P. Jones realized you knew his sister. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I yeah. know your sister. <laughs> Yeah, he was, um, I think I was helping him move or something and uh, got over in Highland Springs where he was, you know, loading furniture and stuff. And I go, man, Mary used to have a roommate when she was going to VCU that uh, lived over this way because I had given her a ride over there a couple of times. And uh, and he goes, yeah, and just kind of let it slide. And I said, yeah, I think her, I can't remember what her, what her name was but uh he goes yeah that's that's my sister <laughs> <And, laughs> we've we been to a bunch of parties together and uh that whole six degrees of separation seems like it's yeah. only one or two these days anymore it's so yeah it's so close one into somebody uh, and i had actually seen him at a wedding when when uh his sister got married mary and i went over there we were at a wedding and they had like a big reception in the backyard and i had met him and he was just a you know, kind of a younger teenage kid, and uh, you know, did I didn't know who he was or anything. Yeah. And uh, then we got went to nine, and um, there he was, and he was like my senior firefighter. Wow, small world. It is. I opened. Uh, I knew we were going to head it off on on the first day there. He was showing me the engine. He was pulling discharge handles and stuff like that. And I looked down and saw the uh, 
pumper Siamese on the side, and I reached over and pulled that lever <laughs> and soaked him from the waist <laughs> down. And he, I stepped back, man. He looked up at me and busted out laughing. I, I thought I, I thought he was going to hit me or something. <laughs> he went upstairs and changed clothes, and uh, yeah. I bet he got you back one time. Did he? Didn't he lock you out of the balcony at number nine? with not much in the way of clothing on a couple of times <laughs> i was a slow learner um, yeah i slid the pole naked a, <laughs> a couple of times yeah that's uh, that's one of those legends that uh bounces yeah. around the fire station that uh, we probably won't tell the whole story but uh it's uh I, I think you told the story one time and you heard click and went what is that noise and then heard the other door click yeah. oh damn <laughs> i'm locked out you yeah. have the story about uh, the sock his missing sock. Oh, I've, I've seen the story of the missing okay, sock. Okay, we'll, yeah. we'll pass that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, pay, pay, yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, we're still looking one. for the sock. <laughs> and, uh, anybody from Chesterfield who knows about the sock is probably going, yep, we've seen the sock. <laughs> In Buena Vista, there, near near the gym that I went to out there, there was a little laundromat called the Lost Sock Laundromat. <laughs> <laughs> that was the inspiration <laughs> for the Lost Sock. No, it was just a reminder, I guess. There you go. Well, uh, let's, t- let's talk about where you wound up working. Uh, you were a volunteer at Five, Bill. Where, where did you ser- where stations did you work at around Chesterfield? I started out at 12. I worked at 12 up at a drill school on the truck with uh, Vaughn Corbeth and, um, and Mark Nugent. He went down there as a firefighter. So we were firefighters for Vaughn. Bobby Knight was a firefighter on that uh, shift, and Kenny Tinsley was that shift. And we started out down there. I worked, at, worked there. Uh, when we started to open 14, I went up to two, worked for Danny Jenkins to learn how to till, uh, went to 14, spent a few years at 14, went to three, uh, worked for Roger Hicks at three, uh, probably three years, three or four years there. I, I never spent more than three or four years anywhere. I went from there to two, worked for Spalding at two, uh, went from there to 10, went from 10 to the daytime ambulance at Forest View, and then to four, then to eight, then to 16, and then to the fire marshal's office. There's a little bit of everywhere. And then home. And then home. You retired out of there. So, Terry, where did you wind up working? I know we, you and I were at nine for a while with, uh, was it me, you, and Ralston on the engine? Um, Ralston was one of my bosses there. Yeah. Uh, and Jenkins was. You just mentioned two of the best bosses that, that I'm sure I'll ever have because I'm not going to work again. But Danny Jenkins and Roger Hicks, man, they were two great guys. Yeah. Right? Well, that's one of the questions I was going to ask you guys is, uh, is kind of career firefighters never never had the desire or got promoted. Uh, who, were the, who were the mentors and kind of the leaders in your careers that you looked up to? And, yeah, that's, that's a good guy to work for, and he's leading the way. I never worked for a bad one. Really? Not really. I worked for some people I didn't get along with as well, and, and, but, but no, I never had a bad supervisor. Uh, same here. You know? Danny Jenkins is one of the greatest people I've ever known. He, you, you learned to love him, and you worked for him hard because you didn't want to disappoint him. Exactly. I'm, I'm messing around one day, goofing off, and some the other guys are doing something. He goes, Bill, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm not running anything. Well, you need to find something to do, Bill, and, and I'll be happy to find something for you. And uh, I <laughs> clicked my heels and went on out and went and found it, something boss. to do. <laughs> I got it, boss. It's Kevin Spaulding, Roger Hicks, that, that they're all in the same league. Yep. You know. I, didn't, I never worked for Danny. I think it was when I was at nine with maybe you and Bobby Ralston at the time when yeah. Danny was on the truck at nine and yeah, you know, we were all kind of in that same boat it was a it wasn't a like the old days you stay on your side of the grate and I'll stay on mine on the engine kind of mm-hmm. thing it was a it was a truck and an engine shift that worked together and now I remember Danny coming in in the morning writing up on the board here's what we got to do today you know he hit the list you know house duties maintenance PT uh, and down the list of stuff had to be done and when you got done with that you were pretty much done for your day but if it took you till eight or nine o'clock at night, you finished you the list. You did that too. Yep. And if one person is working, Everyone we're all going to go out and work. Yep. And Jenkins would do all his stuff in the office, and we'd be out cleaning ladders. And next thing you know, Dan is out cleaning ladders with us. Yep. You know, and Spalding, if you had a working fire, he'd be the incident commander, and he'd be in the front yard. Next thing you know, he's got a pike pole. He's he could not <laughs> help himself. He's in there doing something. Yeah. I never saw anything like it. Kevin had to. He'd have to be involved. I didn't get a chance to work for him, but I would have liked to. He's, yeah, I didn't either. He's yeah. he's always one that's – and Kevin's been on this podcast, him and Don Bowman one day. We, we were together oh. and did one of these. But, uh, 
know, Kevin's always been a name, a name of the folks that came up as kind of good leadership that uh, were good people to, yep. to come up under. Well, one thing about Kevin, you are not going to back up to a paycheck. Huh. Period. Yeah. Right. You're going to earn your money. That's right. I mean, and you got to respect that. And we were well-trained. You know, and I, we were well-trained. We were, I, well, I was never not well-trained in Chesterfield. You know, they want to call firefighters heroes. No, we were well-trained. And we were. Just did the job. Yeah. Ralston was probably the funnest guy I worked for. He was he was an interesting character. He's the one that kind of got me into the fire marshal's office. He uh, huh. he uh, he caught me one day. He goes, "Hey man, you really ought to look at this. Think think about this. Jay. We, you know, we're changing things in the office. We're kind of moving things along." And he's he's still doing investigations. Yeah, he's doing private stuff. Uh, he's a lot smarter than he lets you know. This is true. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you remember that day? You were probably in there that I had been out in my car doing inspections, and I was out behind Cloverleaf Mall, and I it was after lunch, and I had driven up a. A, a little forest road in the woods and I was going to turn around and uh, lay back for about 15 minutes and snooze, turn my radio <laughs> on and lay back. Well, I found a tire dump. Somebody had come in there and dumped a thousand tires in that place. Look at this. So I go back to the office and I'm talking about it and Ralston goes, give me some serial numbers. And I go, huh? Give me some serial numbers off those tires, different tires. So I get about 10 different serial numbers, and he figures it out. Whose they were. Yeah, who it was. I'm not going to mention it because it's the company that's still involved in business here in the community, <laughs> and he took care of it. He also got credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> there were there were houses that, back on that road, I think, that you're talking about that burned uh, when I was at nine. This was you know, a, old shacks and stuff like that that this, people still lived in. Yeah, there's a bunch of woods behind the old Chesterfield Town Center. Yep. And I, you know, I, I never slept on the job, but you know, I was looking for a place to snooze, and I found this tire. No, 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 Bill, you were back there doing an inspection. <laughs> I wasn't doing an inspection, right? And finally found these tires. That's right. The statue of limitations cracked me up. Give me some serial numbers, and it doesn't have dawned on me to get the serial numbers off the tires. Yeah. And I went back and got about ten different, you know, off of different tires, and he figured it out. Yeah, he really. I think he was instrumental in how we developed that office going forward, getting getting law enforcement authority and and moving us to the next level. So he was he was certainly was a instrumental in that part and he's been on this podcast too i got him and uh, mike martin on talking about uh, accelerant canines because huh. i always uh-huh. gave him a hard time i said uh when i would introduce him and hero i said this is the uh, most experienced and most valuable investigator i've got on the staff and bobby ralston his handler so <laughs> that, dog, that dog was amazing that dog was we'd crazy. go in with our instruments and not find anything and the dog would come in and there it is yep, exactly one all it took was one molecule yep did you hear about him getting shot in the ass uh-uh. Yeah, he was. He does the firearms portion well, of yeah. the fire marshals thing, and they were doing a, a drill. I think it's if you're interviewing somebody and they attack you. You know, it's like a a palm heel in the thing, face. Yeah. And okay, so this recruit or whatever they call him, palm heeled the dummy in the face and fired into the metal <laughs> bracket that holds the target, Ow. and a bullet went whistling across his butt. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. He said that was a that was another thing that he always wanted to do was get shot in the ass. <laughs> Check that one off the list. Yeah. Oh man. One of our professors at uh, VCU uh, had that pleasure. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. His wife mm. caught him in bed with somebody else and shot him in the behind with a twenty-two pistol. That'll do it. <laughs> he was man. He was quite the guy. Too. He was a great guy. Great teacher. He was a good teacher. Yeah. He was an arm wrestler. This guy was Barney Groves with his name, and he was a real strong great gymnast could do uh he could do an iron cross when he was 40 years old couldn't he easy yeah easy. press into it he could press into it that's, that's he got in, and in his 70s he got into an age group powerlifting and would win championships Going all away. over the country yeah Jeez. anyway yeah he got he, he got that pleasure he was hilarious well we talked about some of the leadership legends um let's talk about some of the calls you might have been on that were uh interesting um the kind of hit your memory or were good bad or indifferent or glad you were there or glad you got to witness the I'll tell <laughs> the you one excitement I'll tell you one it's my it's it's about Charlton Hogwood and it's my favorite Hogwood story we're at eight um he's working over uh I'm on c-shift he's working over I think pop was off that day and I don't remember I was driving he was in the front seat it might have been bike bogs in the jump seat don't remember who's in the jump seat um we get a call uh, into Ettrick into one of these little houses, you know, on right off of Chesterfield Avenue, and it, it's for water in a house, a water leak. 
12 was out. Engine and truck. I think they may have been training. I don't know where they were, but they were out the whole day. We get there. It's a little old black lady living there by herself. And we go in, and the, the commode has malfunctioned. And it's running. And the ba- there's an inch and a half of water in the bathroom. And it's spread into her bedroom, which is wall-to-wall carpet. And it's about a third of the bedroom uh, carpet and pad is soaked. Turn the, the valve off. Stop the leak. Got to looking around. Looked at the commode, figured out what was wrong with it. We got to get the water up, so we go over to 12, and, and behind the truck was a, a shop area, and they had some storage in there, and in there was a water vac, a fan, and some cords. And we got all of that stuff back on the eight engine, went back to the, to the house, got the water up, pulled the shoe molding away from the wall, peeled the carpet back, We'd, we'd water vac the carpet and the pad, peeled it back to where it was dry floor, set up the electric fan, 5250 CFM, remember? Yep. Uh, mm. And smoke the cords. Eject- real smoke ejectors. Yep, mm. and, and blowing on this and said, mm. we told her what we were doing, we're going to let this dry, and said, we're going to go get the parts to fix your toilet. We went into Colonial Heights, used CARES money, uh, bought everything to rebuild the tank on her commode, came back, rebuilt the commode to brand new, uh, told her she could use it, that we were going to leave all of that in place, and we would be back later today to pick up the fan and put the carpet down. We go back to 8, we eat lunch, we you know a regular afternoon. About 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we go back, and w- the carpet's dry, so we lay everything back down, we carefully nail the shoe molding back around and put the place down, and it's, everything's dry and clean. Now, all we had to do there was get the water up. Turn the water off and get the water Turn up. the water up and get our water up. But this is all hogwood. And he said, we're going to fix the commode. We're going to dry the carpet. We're going to put this little, we'll take care of this a little later. We did all of that because of hogwood, because he had a huge, beautiful heart. Yep. And those guys at 12, by the way, we had to clean the water vac and we had to clean the fan <laughs> before we used them. But oh, <laughs> that's another story. Was Charlton the lieutenant at eight by then? No, he was still a firefighter. Fire fire. He was working for Jenkins. He was on B shift working for Jenkins. <clears throat> yeah. I was working for Bobby Knight on, on C shift. And uh, Simmons was in, was on was on a shift, and uh, he was working over with us. We, we, you know, we could have spent 20 minutes there and going back in service, and, and but we spent half the day messing with this and left this poor little old lady with a rebuilt commode, all everything dry, put back together and cleaned. Yeah, that's that's kind of what the job's about. I, and we've got I've heard stories about that. You know, guys doing that the next day there's, after they get off. There's, there's people doing it. There's fire companies in this country, all over this country, doing something like that. right now every day this moment right now and that's that's we leave the place better than we found it yep and uh for everybody who's listening who doesn't know uh charlton hogwood was a a career firefighter in chesterfield got promoted to lieutenant um retired moved out to arizona Arizona. and was uh tragically killed out there i'm not sure of all the details behind it but it was a, a homicide and a uh, very sad day that we lost Charlton because he, he, you're right, he, he was, A, he was a smart guy. He he knew how to work the overtime system in Chesterfield better than the staff. <laughs> he knew how officer. to work all the systems. Yeah. And and he could he could be irritating, but he also but he was, right. was a, he, he was usually right, but he could be irritating, but he also had a huge heart, and he was kind, and he would do anything for anyone. And that's, yep. and he was all, that's, He's the one that did all of that. Yep. He, you did know? It, he did it for me. I had a truck go out in my clutch one time, it pulling into the fire station, one in day to work, and he was getting off, and I was on a 24, and I, I asked him, I said, hey, man, I've never worked on clutches. Can you fix it for me? He said, yeah, I'll bring my trailer back later and pick it up. And, dude, it was gone that the next, that afternoon, brought it back the next morning. I had a truck with a new clutch in it that evening. So You know the story of when Mike Goff <clears> – <throat> died in petersburg we, uh, we got an ep- we got an episode on that on this podcast but yeah go ahead so yeah. i was there I was, I was driving the engine and uh, i was on the hydrant he was on a truck and uh, once we realized we'd lost a firefighter and everything was kind of the fire was under control we started m- taking the building apart brick by brick trying to find this man's body hogwood wore a paco cutting torch for six straight hours cutting steel he would not let you relieve him he would only let you change the bottles for six hours it was remarkable he was honoring a fallen firefighter yeah he's uh that's that's another one i wish i could we, i could get on here and talk to him, and get him to tell stories because boy we could hear some stuff from john <laughs> that was a terrible morning it was um, that was terrible the one of the things that struck me about charlton i was um i don't know if i was a captain by then or i'd been promoted 
but uh, he was sitting in for the lieutenant's exam, and I was one of the evaluators in this scenario, and the scenario-based thing was you've got a firefighter on your shift that's refusing to do PT is basically the scenario was, and now you've got to meet with the fire chief, and I think Paul Mauger was playing the role of the fire chief then. I don't think he was a chief yet, but he was, he was one of the battalion chiefs or the deputy, and he was the chief. And Hogwood came in and said, Chief, I, he said, first off, I'm sorry it made it to your level. I should have taken care of this before it got to there. This is my problem. I'll fix it, and here's how I'm going to fix it. And I was like, damn, that's that's <laughs> the way to do it right there. Mm-hmm. So so he's he was a good cat. What about you, Terry? Any uh, any calls that strike your mind? Uh, no, nah, I'm drawing, drawing a blank on that one. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. but uh, I'll, I'll tell you one we were both involved with one day. And okay. I won't mention the other party's name, but you'll know who How it was. How about opening the stove? That's the one. That's it. It was a, it was a dryer. Oh, a dryer. right, right. Yeah. yeah, I was on the truck. You, went, you were on the engine. Randy Keeney, I think, was the lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. And uh, The Daryl's fire as well. Yeah. The, this was, was another a, one. This was a townhouse, I think, and uh, the firefighter on the engine – drug him in with the hose and right, I, knew, right. I, I knew where the fire was it was in the dryer and i said are you ready he goes yeah and i opened the dryer door fire flows out and <laughs> he sits there and looks at it and i close the door and i said are you sure you're ready he goes yeah i said well how about next time i open this thing you squirt some water up in here he goes okay <laughs> well, that's like the time uh, uh, lovely guy we knew mike buchanan but mike didn't really want to fight fire that much but so we're on the truck and it's uh steve stump uh, Danny Jenkins, Ben Gary, Buchanan, and me on the truck. And uh, it's a Monday night, and 10 is at uh, drill with the volunteers. So we get we get a house fire call, and 10 is first due. We get there first. It's bl- it's vented. It's a bedroom fire on the corner of the house, uh, the one-two corner of the house. Uh, so we go in and search. So it's Buchanan, Ben Gary, and I in the house searching. Well, the engine gets there, and Jenkins pulls the line and just sticks a nozzle in the front door, and Buchanan was there, and he got the nozzle. And, you know, it's like he handed him a rattlesnake or something. <laughs> so we go down the hallway to the fire because it's vented, so you can see, and we're kind of crawling. We got the hose up, and I'm behind him, and he gets about two or three feet from the door, and he won't go in and put the fire in. And I look back up the hall, and here comes Steve Stump walking down the hall, and he's winding that leg up, and I back out of the way, and he <laughs> kicks Buchanan in the butt and yells, get in there. And Buchanan hopped up and went in and put the fire in. <laughs> Just need a little persuasion. <laughs> but you could see him winding that leg up coming down the hallway. <laughs> Just needed some persuasion. Sorry, Mikey, I have to tell that story yeah, on you. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, we were at Daryl's together, too, me and me, you, Ralston, and I think uh, Richard Boyd. Richard, we were, we were four-person engine that night. I think that's right. I uh, was at that fire. I remember the call coming in, and uh, when we made the uh, right off Providence Road, you couldn't see, see. west of Daryl's <laughs> for the smoke, smoke blowing yep. across Route 60. And Ralston, I forget what he said, but it was really funny. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we went in there, and um, I laid in from the hydrant. Yeah, you were pumping. A, I remember you were yeah, pumping. Yeah. 93 supplied, oh, man, a ladder truck. A couple, 102, I think, 22. Yep, because uh, I was, was on 22. It was coming off of a, you know, whatever that main is out there on Midlothian Turnpike, probably a 36-inch water main with So the gauge never even you No, never, never, never even, even blipped. And uh, Dawson and uh, Ralston had been inside for a long time. Robbie comes out to change your air bottle, man. He had black soot <laughs> all over his face. Still hadn't found the damn fire. I said, man, did y'all put it out? And Robbie said, we ain't found the fire yet. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a weird – there was another fire up there later on. Yeah. And uh, the place where the first fire was, when you opened the door into that little storage area, the door into where the fire was 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 behind the door you opened. Yep. And no wonder you couldn't find yeah. it. You one, know? What yeah, a, what it was a place one for a door. One sprinkler head was keeping it under control, but it was a bag of, or box of rags or linens or something that was burning, and it was upstairs, 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 behind. kind of in the back. Yeah, and from, if you open the door going up the stairs, you're right. It it blocked the door to the storage room, so you couldn't find the darn thing. Yeah, that's where uh, Frank Marseille ran out of air. They somebody put him up in that. Right, it was some kind of ventilation. Yeah, room put him up or in something. the where the air handling unit I'd is. I'd forgotten there, about that. Him yeah. running out of the air there. Yep. Yeah. That's uh, that's another. One. I remember him telling that story to recruit classes and officer classes about what was going through his mind at the time when he ran out of air, and it was all about you know being calm and following your training and doing what you know you're supposed to do and 
getting yourself out of it and you know talk about people you wish you could have on here we that's one that we can't unfortunately yeah, that's another one but he was he was one of my bosses he was another good boss he was one of he was my boss when we opened up seven yeah. again mark nugent again he and i were the firefighters and frank was a brand new sergeant under seven um yeah so i worked with uh popcorn it was his nickname nugent mark nugent yeah. i worked with him several times as a firefighter and then he started getting promoted and moving on up um so I got a story about Nugent. Okay. Speaking oh, here Nugent. we go. Uh, maybe uh, let's hope we can still air this one. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's 1980. I'm a rookie at 12 on the on the truck with Vaughn, uh, Sergeant Carpenter. He's a he's a, a truck officer, and uh, Popcorn and I were on the on the truck. So Mr. Eanes lived down the street, Bob Eanes' father, and uh, he had a habit of coming by and checking on us. Chief Chief Eanes. Chief Eanes. Yeah. No, no, but no, not Chief Eanes, yeah. but his father. Eanes Senior. Mr. Eanes, yeah. yes. His, his parents, Mr. Eanes Senior grew up on Chesterfield Avenue. And uh, so, I don't know, if three or four months before this happened, it was C-Shift and Raymond Burr's shift. And I know, uh, I've forgotten who exactly was on that. But, uh, yeah, I know Raymond Burr was on the shift that day. Anyway, he comes by. Hey, boys, how you doing? Hi, Mr. Eanes. Want a cup of coffee? No, I already had some. Just want to come by and see you boys. You know, Bob's coming by for lunch today, and by the way, the flag's upside down. They go running out, and they put the flag, you know, you put the flag up and down all, every day. They put the flag up upside down, and of course, Chief Eanes would have seen that. Oh, And, and his gone. daddy was not only looking out for the boys, but he was looking out for Chief Eanes, too. So it's three or four months later, and I'm, I'm on shift. It's about 9 o'clock in the morning, and, and Mark Nugent and I are down in the basement, you know, doing maintenance and house duties, and I mean, down in the bay, and... Uh, Mr. Eanes comes by, same thing. Hello, Mr. Eanes. Hey, boys, how you doing? And we chit-chat for a few minutes, and he says, well, Bob's coming to lunch today. And by the way, the ball fell off the flagpole. So we go running out, and there's this brass ball about the size of a duck pin bowling ball or a little smaller laying on the ground beside the flagpole. It had fallen off since we put the flag up, and this was only like 9 o'clock. So we grabbed the thing and looked, and it had been screwed on to a bolt on top of the flagpole that was steel, but the the actual ball was brass and that steel bolt was rusted off inside that ball we bring the truck out we put the stick up we look at it there's no way we're going to get this ball back on the flagpole it's 9 30 in the morning chief Eans is going to be there at noon <laughs> so we panic we're running around in the fire station what are we going to do we know he'll see that the ball is not there so we're down in the basement if you remember old uh engine 12 old company 12 the volunteers had a room in the basement with a pool table, and behind that was a closet that had a mounted tire for truck 12 and some other stuff laying around. And there was an old commode back there. The top was off the tank, and we looked in there, and the float was a round plastic ball about the size of the ball, brass ball for the flagpole. We unscrewed that thing, compared it, think this will work. We spray painted it gold because you have gold paint around a fire station, but we didn't have any glue. So we got on the truck, go into Colonial Heights, buy some super glue, come back. By this time, the gold paint is dried. We put the stick up, we go up, and we glue the ball onto the flagpole with super glue. We then spray painted one more coat of gold, put the stick back down, secure the truck, have lunch, chiefing shows up, everything's fine. And that ball, that plastic float ball, spray painted gold, stayed up there for 20 years. <laughs> Hey, it worked. <laughs> when I was at when I was at eight on the engine, we'd come back and we I'd look at that thing. It was I could recognize that it was a exactly what still it was. Still there, still there. Yeah, Chief so. Eanes was a stickler for detail. Yeah, he wanted he to. Noticed he, it. Yeah, oh yeah. And, and his father knew it, and his father was looking for art for us, and he was looking art for the chief. Okay, you kind of wonder if Chief Eanes would tell his father, hey, "I'm going by the station this afternoon," or, and then he go, "Okay, <laughs> Mr. Eanes would come by and do a quick pre-inspection for you guys." <laughs> well, that's what he did. Yeah. He would come down every time Bob was coming, and he'd look around because he knew what Bob would see. And he looked out for us. Wow. It was kind of fun. That, you know? that's, he you was know. a really nice man. Bob's parents were nice, yeah. very nice people. And Chief Eanes was another one of those good bosses uh, mm -hmm. that, that comes to mind. He, he helped was, me. He helped me, too. Yeah. Uh, he helped you know? a lot of folks. He, yeah, he's, heck, yeah. yeah. I got in trouble, and he helped me. And, yep. Uh, he could have he fired me. And... Uh, he didn't, and he told me what he wanted me to do, and I did what he asked me to do. And I ended up having a pretty good career, and now I have a nice pension, and I owe it to him. Yeah, I, yeah, I think he was a really good judge of character and was always at least willing to give everybody a second chance if you were willing to say, I screwed up. Yeah. You know, I made a mistake. 
it won't happen again, boss. Okay, fool me twice and you're gone kind Here's of thing. Here's what I knew about him. I got in trouble a couple of times. Every time I did something that I shouldn't have done, I went to him first because he already knew it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he already knew it. Uh, it and I, when I went to him, open, here, here I am, I did this, I'm sorry. Without him having to come to me, I think that made a difference because you know he already knew it. Yeah. He was he was one, and I I took this lesson after being working on MedFlight, and we worked really close with him because we were MedFlight, and we were kind of his pet project. And uh, there was something he always said was I'd never want to be surprised by the county administrator or board member the next day. He, mm -hmm. So there's been more than one occasion I'd called him late at night or early in the morning and said, Hey, chief, this happened. Okay, thanks, partner. I appreciate the mm -hmm. information, and never hear another word about it. Nothing, not that. In those cases, not that I screwed up. But it was always something I knew that might rise to the county administrator or board member, and if he wanted to know about it before they told him. And that was a lesson I took all, all through my career is never let the boss be surprised. These two times I'm talking about, I screwed up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. The, the thing I like I'm not saying I didn't him. screw up, but it never got to him. <laughs> Those never got to him. The, the thing I liked about him was, you know, you, you didn't have to look for him. He was right there in front of you. And you knew – you knew what he wanted and what he expected, and uh, you know that's what you were supposed to do. He was a good boss. I, yeah. I like that. Enough. I thought I thought we were all gonna get fired one morning. This was I don't know two three o'clock in the morning. I was at, at two engine the R model Mac and uh, Tom Fierce and had just gotten promoted. <laughs> and I think Bob Harris was riding the tailboard, and we had a fire uh, little split level house and. We're pulling down the road, and this is one of Tom's, I guess, first fires. As a he was a sergeant, then this was before we had lieutenants, and he's he's got the B, A post lights spinning, looking for looking for doors and house numbers, and I said, "What are you looking for, Tom?" He said, "I'm looking for the house number." I said, "I think it's that one down there with the fire blowing out the front window." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> so we go up, pull up. I hit the hide right in front of the house, which is good. Um, Bob and Tom go in. The trucks there, they're in fighting fire and knock the fire down. Wayne shows up. Three o'clock in the morning, he's wearing his uh, fire, chief, fire chief's helmet. The tin one? No, the just the just the lip, just the um, the dress cap. Okay. Oh, I got you. Yeah. And he's he's uh, wearing his pump operator's jacket. It must have been chilly that morning, and uh, he's walking across the front yard just about the time whoever was on a nozzle puts a nozzle out the window to vent through the through the window with the nozzle, and it <laughs> knocked him for a loop across the yard. The hat goes flying at me, and I'm standing there, and all I could think was, uh oh. <laughs> So I picked up his hat, brushed it off, and I said, Chief, are you okay? He said, ha. He started laughing. He said, I guess I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. One, I said, whatever you say, Chief. And he was fine. But it was one of them things you never quite knew if he was going to go flying off the handle. But that time he was good. He said, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. That wide fog at the window did yep. all, moved a lot of air. And, and, a, and a fire chief, too. That was, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. So talking about calls we were on, um, Terry, I think you hold the distinction – of being the only firefighter to ever run your own EMS call. You know, I was right? there that day, too. <laughs> you want to tell yeah, that story? Yeah. <laughs> huh. All right. Um, yeah, I was working overtime at 2, and uh, I had my mountain bike in the back of my truck to um, – I was going to – I didn't know I was going to work overtime. I was going to go by Pocahontas and ride, ride in the woods on the way home. But uh, So I got some overtime, went to 2, uh, we was time for PT, so uh, I rode across. I was riding across that parking lot of that school. And the, old, the old Manchester, Manchester High School. Yeah, middle school. Yeah, yeah, Manchester. I think it was still a middle school then. It was a middle school then. There was a car, a, a guy, a young guy was coming out of the parking lot trying to blow his car up. He had like some kind of big race car <laughs> or something. So I had slowed down to watch him and let him go by. And when he went by, I just kind of put my head down and um, – accelerated up to speed and went right into a, a chain that was blocking a driveway <laughs> and went over the handlebars and uh i remember thinking well maybe i can turn this into a forward roll and i landed right on top of my head and knocked myself out <laughs> well there were tennis courts around there and I, th I guess one of the guys playing tennis back there dialed 911 and uh about this time i came to and I heard the tones go off over at Station 2, so I jumped on my bike and rode back there and got on the engine, and we went over and looking for a man down behind the school. And I, I, I can't remember who was the boss that day. But anyway, I said, hey, man, I think that's me that we're going to look for. And he, he turned around, and, you know, we didn't have a radio in the engine back then. He slid, the door was 
uh, slid back and uh, he turned around and looked at me and gave me the funniest look. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we went over there and looked around and sure enough, I had gone. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the patient has left the scene. Yeah. Yeah, that guy, I remember the squad, the, the Manchester squad was in there. That girl was palpating your shoulder, <laughs> and you go, "Ow!" And she screams and jumps back, yeah. and you were just you were just picking on her. And she didn't like that. Yeah, I she thought she was like going to hit me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she jumped back, and uh, I think she balled up her fist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was, it was some good time. I remember another one with you. You and you and you were driving. Ralston was in the lieutenant seat at nine, and a guy had spun his car out on Chippenham Parkway and the back end of the car was sitting up on the guardrail right at the edge of the bridge and right. Ra Ralston okay. keys the mic to mark on scene and you yell out the window, hey man, you can't park like that. <laughs> and Ralston <laughs> can't talk on the radio at all. <laughs> I ran a call with him when uh, I was on that daytime ambulance at Forest View. We ran a call in Nines Forest View and it was, it was the mid-90s and it was uh, a poor young man that was in the end stage of AIDS. He had all the Ooh. the bad uh, splotches on his skin. He was a little delirious, you know, having hallucinations, and he actually ended up dying that day. So we took him. We took him to Chippenham. But we're in we're in the house. Uh, I'm taking vitals and trying to talk to him, and he's just screaming. Oh! And his mother was screaming, and it was just chaos. You know, it was a chaotic scene. And Terry was standing in the doorway, and all of a sudden, the guy opens his eyes. And he goes, "He's coming." I hear him. I hear his hooves on the floor. The devil's coming. Oh, it's the devil. And you look up at Terry, and he's looking over his shoulder <laughs> with his eyes about this big around. And he was pretty convinced. He <laughs> was convinced. He was convinced. And he described his hooves on the floor, you know, all of that oh cloven hooves on the floor. He's coming down the hallway. And Terry looked over his shoulder like the devil's standing behind me. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I he, the he devil might have been standing there. Because yeah. the devil's here. Yeah. And, you know, nature doesn't like, uh, nature doesn't have any un, unopposed forces. So if the devil's here, so is God. And that's all I got to say about that. But that young man who later died that day believed the devil was in that room. And so did Terry. <laughs> convinced him. <laughs> For a second. <laughs> did, you, did you run the one where a couple of uh, guys from Richmond came across Chippenham and robbed that, uh, it was a restaurant? Down there, they robbed the place with a samurai sword. Oh, no. I remember and, hearing about it, but I wasn't there. Locked the, locked the uh, guy. This was like 8 o'clock in the morning, and we're thinking, I mean, if I was going to rob a place, I'd wait till the end of the end day, of the day. Well, after they the had some the money. <laughs> yeah. But this was 8 o'clock in the morning, and we were thinking, this guy's been locked in the freezer overnight. How are we going to warm him up and all? And we got down there, and uh, he had only been locked in there about 10 minutes. Oh, but wow. he was, he was, He was pretty mad and... Pretty shook up too. I think uh, I think they scared him with the sword. Uh, we never saw him. It scared me. Yep, me it'd too. Scare me. Yeah. So I went to eight in the year two, two February of two thousand. I left uh, four and went down to eight on sea shift. And uh, Doug Hankey and, and uh, Kenny Allisberg and uh, Bobby Knight was the, the lieutenant and uh, and uh, Mike Boggs on the shift. So Mike Boggs and I on the ambulance that day, and uh, we run a call on Matoka Road. And it's a minor MVA. We got a teenage girl, and she's upset. And we we figure it's gonna be a patient refusal. Police are there, you know. And we're kind of going down that that road. And the next thing I know, here comes a man walking down the hill. There was a little block house, a little, little cinder block house up the hill. He goes, "Miss Smith's having a heart attack." I go, "Okay." So I grab the basic bag, tell the young lady that the police are gonna stay with her, and I walk up to the house. And Boggs gets in the ambulance and drives it around to the uh, to the driveway. I go in. She's in arrest. She's laying, she's laying on the bed, angle respirations, dead. I yuck her off the bed, get on the radio, call for help. I think I actually did a 1033 and start a CPR. So it seemed like forever before Boggs came in because it wasn't but about 10 seconds, but it seemed like forever. He comes in. We go to work on her. We shock her. We put the, put the, put the, put the, uh, the defibrillator on her. She's in pulseless VTAC. We shock her, shock her into her systole. We go to work on her. You know, engine's coming, we get a bunch of guys in there, get an IV, we epi her back into a rhythm. So we got a rhythm, and it's got a pulse. Oh, my goodness. And I think that we still used lidocaine then, so I think we did lidocaine, but we took her to the hospital. So we saved her life. Okay, it, 
that happens all the time. That may be happening in the county right there all the time. Okay, that's that's well, maybe nice. without the lidocaine because that's changed. That's a little changed bit. a little bit, but this was <laughs> the year two thousand. It may have been amiodarone by then, but I don't know. Anyway, we saved her life, and that's what we're trained to do. We just talked about we're trained to do that. We did what we're trained to do. Great. Well, it, the story gets interesting then because it turns out she had just received her two granddaughters from the state. They were awards of the state because uh, of the daughter who was a. a, a a single mother was a hopeless drug addict, and so the state took these kids. So she was going to raise them. Well, if she had died, the kids would have gone back to the state. So it's on Matawaka Road. They fix her. She didn't have atherosclerotic heart disease. She had an anomaly where she, when she was upset, there was a wreck in front of her house. She had just received the grandchildren. She went into VTAC. So they, she ended up getting an implanted defibrillator, and she's fine. So she's there, a 60-year-old woman raising this eight and 10-year-old girl. Well, driving to work, I would drive down Matoka Road. I was living in Chester at the time, still do, and about 7 o'clock in the morning every day, and in school, when school was in, one or two times a month, I'd see Ms. Smith and those two little girls standing there waiting for the school bus. They recognized my little truck. I'd roll the window down. They'd scream and holler and wave at me, and sometimes I'd pull in and we'd talk, and they knew who I was, and I knew who they were, and I got to do that for two and a half years. That's pretty awesome. And watch those people. And that's what makes that a special story for me. Well, that's about being, being part of the community, too. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, we get to know either the good ones or the bad ones. We get to know some of the people we'd have the, the loyal customers, we'll call them. We'd see them and, uh, quite, got, with quite frequency. I would not have gotten to see those little ghosts. Now, the whole team saved her. It wasn't yeah. me. It was everybody. You know, Hanky was there and Boggs. And we, all, we all worked together. But, uh, but you got to see her every so often going I got to road. see her driving to, driving to work, man, and wave at those little girls, and they'd all wave back at me. Cool. So, uh, interesting, I ran her about a year later, and the defibrillator shocked her, and it had uh, shocked her out of her eye. It didn't shock her heart. You know, at that moment, that was the path of least resistance. That's how yeah. electricity works. Yeah. It tuned up and shocked her the second time and shocked her heart. And I had never heard of that, but the cardiologist at Chippenham, I remember, was Maurice Nottingham. I don't know if you remember that mm -hmm. name. And he had heard of it doing things like that before, but it was very rare. Anyway, that's just that's that. But saving her, us, air, air, air training, and what we do in Chesterville, saving her life, enabled me to wave at those little girls for two and a half years. That's pretty awesome. I remember uh, I was working for Jenkins at the time on uh, 93, and um, we had just gone through the class with, what was that first thing, the Heart Start 2000 Heart start, yeah. or something the, the like that? The original of the automatic external defibrillators. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, we, uh, we get a call. It's in a, like a bakery somewhere that probably isn't there anymore over on Midlothian Turnpike. And uh, um, went in, and sure enough, the lady was down. We, uh, me and Kevin Goins put the pads on her and hit the analyze button, or, and the thing started charging. And uh, I go, it's charging! And, <laughs> and kind of jumped back, and uh, when we got back to the station, Jenkins had a good laugh about that. Because, I mean, you know, so many times you go and nothing it, Nothing, happens. yeah, no shock yeah, advice. No shock no, advice. Well, well, know, that's so what you're waiting on. You do CPR. But, uh, yeah, that was pretty surprising. And. Uh, another one, I don't know if you want this one or not, but remember the Southside Strangler? Yeah. And uh, that young woman over at um, Chesterfield Village? I remember. I don't, it, I don't think I ran that one either. This this was uh, – I, I don't remember who was on the shift except for me and Clyde Kirby. And um, it, the call came. It was in the early afternoon. It was Sunday. So we were – you know, we had put on our powder blues and we're kicking back watching – uh, studying and uh, uh, <laughs> training and stuff. Now, Sunday afternoons, they let us slide. But yeah. uh, So the call comes in. I think it was for like a 15 or 16-year-old girl uh, in full arrest. So we think 15 or 16, we got a good chance of getting her back, you know. So we go over there, and um, it's a Korean family. I think her name was Diane Cho was the victim's name. And um, Clyde... Clyde and I jumped off, grabbed the EMS stuff, went into the house, and it was like surreal, man. It was uh, an eight-year-old kid met us at the door. He was the only one in the apartment that could speak English. And there was this background noise of Korean voices, and they were, this, they were cooking something 
uh, Korean, I guess. I remember the smell. And uh, we go down the hall, and uh, Chesterfield police officer uh, Mike Sorensen was in there. Clyde happened to be in front of me. He said, uh, Sorensen goes, stop, stop at the doorway. This is a crime scene. One of you guys come in and, you know, check out the, the victim. Well, I could, Clyde was in front of me, so he went in. And uh, that Southside Strangler guy had uh, killed her mm-hmm. in that bedroom. You know, when we left, the, you could see where the screen had been pulled out of the window and stuff. But it was. He had snuck in the, in the bedroom. He had snuck in the bedroom overnight. And uh, he, he had a, he tortured people before he killed them. He was a serial killer. Mm. And come to find out, he was, I was living in Woodland Heights then off 28th Street and Porter Street across jeff davis was where a halfway house was and that his name was timothy spencer and that's where that's that dude right. that's yeah, where that dude was, where was staying from. and he he killed diane cho he killed another woman up on on 34th street off sims avenue and then another woman up cl- kind of close to o'toole's which is kind of near and dear to my heart <laughs> O'Toole's, yeah, but, <laughs> it was close to your house yeah yeah, yeah. uh but yeah, that was that was a pretty eventful call. I could, man, the Twilight Zone music was playing on yeah, that one, you know. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, well, I, I try to shoot for an hour for these things, and uh, with uh, you guys' career and stories, we could probably tell another one. But I think what I want to do is one day, when, next time we're on the river, we'll sit around the campfire, <laughs> and then we'll have some crew, and I'll bring the other microphone and the other recorder out, and we'll just let it, let it record and we'll see what we can capture how about that thank you that might well, be some editing yeah <laughs> let's uh I'll, I'll kind of end it with this and um you know maybe give you a second to think about it but uh one of the questions that i typically ask somebody who's been in a career in the fire service and has had a productive eventful success I call it successful career and i think anytime you come out come out of the backside of the career able to take retirement and still go out and canoe and mountain bike and what did you just squat three something what were you squatting? Uh, the last time I, uh, I was still in Colorado, and um, I did, I just did three twenty for eight singles, and on the the last set I did a double just for fun. Just for fun. Three seventy four years old. Three seventy four <laughs> year old and doing better than three hundred pound squats for. I'm yeah, gonna so my, my goal is four oh five. I think the bar would look cool with four forty fives hanging on. There each you go. Side. Go get them. Yeah, yeah. So. I think I call that a successful career when you're when you're able to take that retirement and uh, enjoy it and still be healthy enough to do stuff like we're doing now, uh, whether it's mountain bike and jujitsu or right. squatting half the planet like <laughs> Newcomb does. Man, but, that's, well, the fire department, the fire department trained me to have a 12-year career after the fire department. Yeah, and that was a career position, yeah. and I as it, and I'm, I'm very happy with it. And, it. and all I did was what Chief Eames taught me to do when I worked in that hospital. Well, what. Uh, you know, new guys and gals coming on the job today. What kind of what piece of advice would you give them coming on the job today to to let them thirty plus years from now be doing the kind of things you guys are doing as uh, retirees and enjoying the don't do some life. of the things I did. <laughs> uh, don't do some of the things I did off duty. Uh, PT physical training. The reason we're sitting here and can do this is we've always done an hour a day that makes you breathe hard and sweat. And if you want to hop up and down on one foot, if that's what it is, as long as you're breathing hard and generating heat, an hour a day. And that's what I've done my whole life. Now I'm 75 and I can ride a bike 50 miles. Still out riding me. Do PT. Do PT. I don't, I don't, you know what? I don't think it's as fun as it was. I think the call load now is, uh, is, Speaking of which, medical alarm, medical alarm activation going on right now. We're sitting in a fire station. They run a lot more calls. Yeah. Yeah. They do. But uh, it's still the same job. you still got all the time off. Stay fit. And uh, remember, when we look back, we realize how much fun we had and how meaningful it was. And at the time it's happening, I don't think you realize that. You I'll know, agree. Yeah. Probably, you know, I think that's to be aware that you're doing something special. And, and and be thankful for it. On the PT thing, I uh, you know I got to I was a uh, one of the peer trainers when Mike Craven was our training trainer, our fitness trainer in the stations, and uh, they brought me in when I was on day work to to help with some of the recruit schools. And the thing I always told them was, the PT is the one thing that the county gives you, whether it's the equipment, the time. 
the expertise of the trainers or whatever the case may be that's going to benefit you 10 times for every one time the county gets a benefit from. Yeah, the county's going to get a benefit because we're going to have less injuries and that workman's comp is going to be less and less missed time from work, so that's a benefit to the county. But I think you guys, like Bill just said, you know, do your PT and it's it's going to allow you to physically be able to enjoy the retirement. I couldn't have. I worked until I was 60. I couldn't have done that if I had not PT'd. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't have. Do you remember that GHD machine? Did you ever train over at Craven's Gym? Oh, yeah. Okay, that GHD machine. Yep. That Him, Mike Craven, and that GHD machine fixed my back. He yeah. fixed, I think he fixed a lot of backs. Yeah. Um, Chief Elswick. I think he fixed Steve, him. He fixed Steve Elswick. And, and, and when I was on day work, and you know, Mike Craven would come in early to the PSTC gym working with uh, mm-hmm. Chief Elswick, and I, I rode those coattails as long as I absolutely could because that's, you know, that, that guy was a trainer who trained – I'll call them world-class athletes and powerlifting and strength training and, and fitness. and David Weiss, one of the guys he trained, was the 123-pound world powerlifting champion. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, it's and it, yeah. 123 pounds, and I think he pulled like 450 or something. He was a real good deadlifter. Yeah. Um, but his his philosophy, he helped me you know, when I was racing triathlons. You know, he, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hated him when I was doing the workouts, but – Man, it paid off in the long run for sure. And that GH, that glute ham developer, is the official name of the mm-hmm. the machine. There's a Gold's Gym out in the in the West End that had one, and I walked in the first day and saw it and went, "Oh, I'm gonna have to get on it." <laughs> yeah, sure enough, yeah. got on. We it. got you, one in every station. Yeah. Well, yeah. they weren't as nice as the one he he had one with a real thick pad on it that was kind of semicircular, yeah. and you couldn't like on a lot of these ones that are flat, you can you can bend over further than you should yeah, you know, you're yeah. crushing the condyles on the inside of your vertebrae yeah. and th- on that one you couldn't and you know you could hold a 90 pound dumbbell in front of you and do back raises back extensions um back then maybe not may, yeah not, not now today. i mean some people could but <laughs> <laughs> yeah that all was, right well anything else to close this out oh i could tell more but it's, it's that's that's enough we'll we'll save enough those for the, the campfire yeah. one day terry yeah, I, man, I, I can't think of anything. I, oh, here, here's something. People told me when I came in, in here every day, just jot down a few notes about the calls you ran because some of them are just hilarious. And I never did. And that's, that's probably why I'm I wish I'd done that. Now. You, you, know who, you, you know who did that? Randy Keeney. Did he really? Yeah, oh. I've talked to him, and I'm going to get him on here one day, too. Oh, just, be, just he talk was one of my bosses. Yeah, he was, a, he was, a, he, was he our boss? Maybe. I worked with him at three. <laughs> we'll talk about that story after I push stop here. After I, uh, <laughs> I, I, they, they sent me you out stellar west. employee. You. <laughs> they sent me out west with the Forest Service in 1988, and I haven't talked about that, and that's that's a big deal. Oh yeah, I should have, but I'm not going to do that now. But I kept. Oh, it's the only time I've ever kept a diary, and I kept it detailed, and I still have it. And uh, maybe another time. Just I'll while you were out there on while that. I was assignment. out there on that experience. That was an amazing experience. Yeah. I was I was telling Mary that story about you going to Idaho the other day and uh, how you had said, man, it was a great experience. It was exciting. But you notice I only did it once because <laughs> it was a it was really hard. It was work. brutal. It, it was work. hard work. Yeah. Some other time. Uh, Some other. Yeah. Well, let's do that one. Trees day. exploding, the fire where they just lifted you off an LZ. You look back and the. Oh, when they, they picked you up, was they on took fire? us out in helicopters. We left all of our equipment, and the fire camp burned right after we left. And you left your equipment because you had to get left. Out we had to, to have to get re-equipped yeah. because we we couldn't get, get anyway. Poke too much weight on the helicopter. On the helicopter with a Pulaski tool. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was too much weight. It was weight dependent, oh, you know yeah. that. So they just wow. put us on it and left everything there, and the fire camp burned. Well, they got the important stuff. Out. I got the. I'll bring the. I'll bring you the. Uh, my uh, notebook and let you read some of that and we can talk about that if you want that'd be cool get okay. greg because greg mccarher has done a lot of that at i know he has yeah mm-hmm. that'd be a cool one to talk about yeah, that too yeah. so i think man those well, guys uh i've ended up in some restaurants with some uh with pilots that spot fires for those guys and just sitting around listening to their stories is really really kind of cool that'd you know? be kind of cool landing on grass airstrips and uh you know See to your pants. Yep. yep. Well, Bill Crump, Terry Newcomb, man, thank you guys. It's thank good you. To, good to catch up it's again. Been fun. It was fun. It was a quick hour. It was. It yeah, did. It was. It was. Uh, maybe next time we'll do it on the river one day and catch a fish and 
have a beverage by the campfire. Dan Gary caught a muskie on this last Really? Trip. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Got him to the you boat. You should have dragged him all over the river. <laughs> it was a pretty good-sized fish, Three too. feet I mean, long, fish three feet long. We need to go back to Canada, too. That's um, Oh, my gosh. Go, go to Quitico and do that trip. That, I've never been there. I'd like to do that. It's, it's, I haven't it's, been either. It's absolutely I'd like to gorgeous. go, too. Yeah, we'll talk about that more. But, uh, hey, thanks, you guys, for being here. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. If you want to support the podcast, make sure you uh, check out patreon.com backslash firehouse logbook podcast. And uh, if you got any questions for Bill Crump and his wildfire days, he's going to come back and join us, or Terry Newcomb when we're at the, at the campfire. Shoot me an email at uh, firehouselogbook at gmail.com. And make sure you follow along on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram as well. Search for Firehouse Logbook on those, and you'll sure enough find us. And uh, I think I've got some pictures I'm going to put up on those guys, and we'll see what happens. Oh, all you young guys, write down uh, write down your calls every day because they're it's it's a great memory jogger. And man, I I've got a bunch of space up there now. That, uh, <laughs> I know there was something there at one time, but it could be a it could be a uh, it could be a book, but. Uh, and people would say, oh, this has got to go in the fiction section. You go, no, no, this really happened. Yeah, really. Yeah, that's exactly. the difference between a fairy tale and a fireman's tale. Yeah. A fairy tale starts once upon a time. A fireman's tale starts. No kidding. This really happened. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. All right, Bill and Terry, thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank You're you. welcome. Thanks right. for having us.